The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. And here we are. It's May 2021. A lot of people I know are graduating. Congratulations. Also, a lot of us are finally going back to our offices as quarantines let up. I mean, right now, I'm recording in our studio in the Empire State Building. And this year we've had of stagnancy and holding on, it's giving way to a certain restlessness. Many of us are looking for something new. And it's time to ask one of our very favorite questions here at Hello Monday. What should we be doing with our careers? I think the worst advice you can give a kid is uh, follow your passion. That is Scott Galloway. Scott's an early tech entrepreneur. He's a marketing professor at NYU. In March, Scott launched a business education startup called Section 4. And of course, you might know Scott from his own podcast, Prof G. Scott combines business history, rigorous analysis, and a golden gut to offer predictions about the future. And they're often right. Like just a few years ago when he predicted that Amazon was going to buy Whole Foods. And then it did. I don't know if you remember exactly how surprising that was back in 2017. On this episode, Scott shares the advice he gives his students as they launch their careers. Here's Scott. So I think the first thing is just a sober conversation with what are your goals and then a recognition that there's no such thing as balance, there's trade-offs. So some people decide they would rather live in a low-cost geography and have a job that provides them with a lot more balance or maybe pursue something where there's a social mission at the core of it. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Thank God there's a, there's there's a lot of those people, and I think there's even more coming up through the most recent generations. The majority of the people are young people I'm around, and it's a selection bias because I teach at a business school, talk a big game about balance and wanting to to solve the world's problems, but the net of it is they want economic security. And I think in a capitalist society, wanting economic security is a very logical place to go because one of the fortunate or unfortunate things about living in a capitalist society is that your kids' health care, your kids' opportunity, the stress in your relationship or lack thereof, your selection set of mates, your ability to do nice things for your parents is uh, very much a function of your economic security. So I think finding uh, a focus, finding a talent uh, that kind of creates this Venn overlap of things, something you're good at, something people will pay you for, uh, is really important early. Because I think if you prioritize balance, I think balance is a bit of a myth. I don't know anyone who's great at what they do or has a meaningful impact in the for-profit or nonprofit sectors that didn't acknowledge they have to really turn on the jets as a young person and really be focused on their profession. I think in business school, we constantly talk about the importance of adding to society and being happy and finding fulfillment at work. And my goal when I was younger was to be economically secure. And I, I'm, it sounds gross, which is a, a more politically correct way of saying I wanted to make a lot of money. And I have found that that economic security that took me a long time to achieve, but I achieved it, has been um, worth that trade-off. And I find a lot of young people spew a big game about 
thinking they can have economic security and balance. And I just find that that's a myth. I think balance is a myth. So anyways, I would say first and foremost, and I apologize for being long-winded here, have a sober conversation around what it is you want to achieve and what are realistically the trade-offs involved in achieving that. Well, Scott, I really appreciate starting there because I think it runs counter to a cultural story in Mm -hmm. particular in the second half of the 20th century in the United States. Mm -hmm. You had people like my parents who Mm -hmm. were better off than their own parents, who Mm -hmm. had the opportunity to go to college and Mm -hmm. do what they want. And what they told me is what a lot of parents told their children, which is do what you love. Just focus on doing what you love, study what you love. And if Mm -hmm. you do what you love, it will all work out. And I just wonder if that really hobbles people and it runs so counter to what you suggest. So, and I talk a lot about this. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is uh, follow your passion because people mistake most people's passions. It's like things they just love doing. I, I, I wanted to be a professional athlete, but most people, if you ask most young people what their passions are, it tends to be in domains that have a 99% unemployment rate. I want to be a rock star. I want to be an actor. I want to make music. I want to be a a basketball player or coach basketball. I want to make movies. Passions coming out of your teens are usually what I would argue stuff that unless you're realistically in the top 1%, you're not going to be able to make a living at. I remember graduating from Brown University with my creative writing degree and going to Barnes & Noble, which was still a store that you went into physically, and picking up this big book off the shelf. And the book was, was, it said, um, starting salaries. And I was with my friend who had just become a nurse, and we looked up Mm -hmm. nurse, and it said Mm $53,000. And then we looked up poet, and it said $12 annually. And I realized I was in trouble. Yeah. Well, look, so uh, I'll give you an example. Wanting to be a poet, wanting to write poetry or wanting to write fiction, I would say, okay, just realize that I think 99% of authors don't make enough money to live as just pure play authors. And just acknowledge, it's okay, I'm going to go for it, but put in place some benchmarks that say, if I'm not making money as an author by a certain time, I'm going to find something else to do. Now, Now, if you're great at writing, if you're great at communicating with the written word, then by all means, you have found a talent. And if other people and and your own objective benchmarks say that you're a talented and gifted writer, oh my gosh, run a truck through that, get a master's, write like crazy, and you will find ways to monetize that skill. The written word, the ability to communicate, you know, mediums are so powerful. And that is, if somebody comes up to on the street to me and high fives me and says, Prop G, I've never seen a video. If somebody comes up to me and acts as if they know me, they've listened to a podcast or something very intimate about what we're doing here. If someone comes up to me and says, I would really like to have a long conversation with you or hire you to come speak at my company, it means they have read something I have written. The written word is powerful. And there is maybe one or 2% of the world is competent at it. The talent of prose or the written word, that is a talent you can monetize. And if you recognize at an early age, you are a great writer, oh my gosh, by all means, develop that. Now, you might end up in PR, writing shitty press releases for Sheryl Sandberg, but guess what? You're going to make serious <laughs> bank. You might end up writing 10Ks or, or prospectuses, which might feel like shitty work now, but guess what? If you're good at it and you can express ideas, the camaraderie, the accoutrements, 
The economic success, the pride you'll feel of being great at something will make you passionate about whatever it is. So I think with young people, the key is to find your talent, not your passion, because the two, I was passionate about sports. I'm in the 90th percentile of athletes. To make a living at it, you have to be in the 99th point nine. And I was smart, I was fortunate enough to go to a, a school, UCLA, that, that, that demonstrated that very early for me. You know, I got cut from three different sports teams uh, right away. And so it got me focused on, okay, I not only need to find something I'm passionate about, I need to find something I'm really good at. Where the unemployment rate isn't, isn't 99%, it's 4%. Well, there's sort of this, let's call it a trifecta that has seen us through the first part of this century when it comes to figuring out what we want to do as young people, particularly as young people studying business, I think, Mm -hmm. which is you should like it. Mm -hmm. There should be a chance to get rich. And also Mm -hmm. it should make the world better. And this Mm -hmm. is what tech was supposed to do for us, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when I started as a tech reporter, which, by the way, is what I did with my poetry skills, I said, well, you know, poetry is not going to pay the bills, but I'm going to be a reporter. They appear to pay business reporters the best. Right. Technology is the thing they'll yet the young kids do because we understand MySpace. Right. So it, there's what is it that that great graph that Ven of Kigali? You know something, something you like or something you're good at, something people will pay you for, something that gives you satisfaction, something that's good at, for the world. So I would argue going to work at Facebook or going to work at Google. I'm not sure they're good for the world, but I think you can be a good person and bring good values to those types of companies. There's some companies you shouldn't go to work for. I don't think anyone should go to work for Facebook. I think they are a net negative for society. I think the rest of big tech is a net positive. There's a lot of externalities, a lot of, a lot of bad things about them. But I think it's more important that you bring a certain level of character and values and empathy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Scott's going to offer us some advice on what he thinks are going to be the jobs that are most likely to grow in the future. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. My guest today is Scott Galloway. He believes there are good companies to work for and there are some really bad ones. I mean, I would argue going to work for a tobacco company is is not a great place to, to allocate your finite human capital. I would argue that... Robinhood or Uber 
or Lyft or Facebook that is um, trying to exploit human capital, weaponize our elections, addict young people to gamification, risk their financial health. You know, I would argue that those companies are not great places, are not, you are not going to probably have the opportunity to make the world a better place. We're going to need a bigger boat. So l- let me start with the sectors I think are going to offer a lot of opportunity, where if you go and look at these sectors, there's kind of wind in your sails. Uh, I think fintech educa- dispersion. I think we're going to see a massive reconfiguration of the supply chain. What do I mean by that? For example, w- Wonder Woman 1984 skipping theaters and coming straight to your living room. Virtual visits to the doctor were less than 1% pre-pandemic. They're now 30%. We are unbundling the university with certification you can get online or a combination of hybrid. So I think there's tremendous opportunity. People are now renting their labor remotely, so there's more opportunities. At the same time, there's a downside to that, and that is the best human capital will make more money, and everyone else will probably make less is is probably the hard reality of remote work. But I think that the the sectors that offer the most opportunity over the next 10 years are first and foremost health tech. It's the largest industry in the world, U.S. healthcare. It's right for disruption. If you can understand the intersection between technology and healthcare, just kind of run to that. The dispersion in education, I'm going to start offering micro-certification, whether it's what Google's doing with certificates or what we're trying to do at Section 4 with elite business school education. I think that's about to take place. I think anything in the home, anything remote, that's everything from restoration hardware to Sonos to podcasting equipment. But $12 trillion in real estate, commercial uh, office and retail, 20 or 30% of it is going to be dispersed to residential. There's a reason that lumber prices are at all-time highs. Housing prices have uh, grown double digits for the first time in a non-inflationary economy. Sonos stock has doubled. So I think there's big opportunities in what I'll call the dispersion of healthcare, education, headquarters, and then probably the last one is finance with uh, fintech. I think those are the sectors to be in. And then, you know, the other stuff is, I kind of, it's so situational depending on where you are in your career, like what, what your opportunity set is. It's very easy to tell people to find a new job, leave a new job. I constantly tell people, don't leave your job until you have another job. I mean, I'm more, I'm more like, uh, you know, the kind of your, your dad or your mom saying, okay, no, you, you know, th- that company will get that mole removed. Just stay there until you find a better job. I think I'm a little bit more risk averse as I get older. Scott, I love that you say that. I just spoke yesterday with a friend and, and this is, it feels like it's happening kind of a lot, who's just so burnt out and she'd managed to put up away a little bit more money than she thought because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And she was at a tech company that she quit. And she said, I'm going to pick up the search in September. And I just think that there are a sea of those people. They're all going to be in Bali over the summer. I don't know. Look, if you can afford that and you don't have any dependents. And I took kind of two to five years off. When I was 34, I resigned from the board of Red Envelope. I got divorced. I moved to New York. And I basically partied and went went to St. Bart's and pretended I kind of had a pretend job as a professor. And I really enjoyed myself. I didn't have any kids. I had some money. I could behave irresponsibly. So it's all a function of your situation. If you're in a position to go to Tulum and hang out for six months, you know, peace out, brother. Good for you. But uh, I would, when I talk to people who have financial obligations, I'm like, never leave a job until you have another one. You want to take three months off? Get another job and tell them you can't start for three months. Uh, I think this is a competitive economy uh, where capitalist society, economic security is incredibly important. I'm the when people call me, I'm the cold wet blanket. I'm like, yeah, it feels really good to leave and stick up the middle finger, be really gracious, be really nice, and find another job. 
and then leave. Uh, but I, I think it's a dangerous economy. I think any economy is a dangerous economy to be like without a job. And yeah. uh, but and again, I'm sorry. I, I think sound, okay, boomer is what everyone's thinking. <laughs> um, you know, those boomers know a thing or two. There you go. So the average age of my students is like 28, and every year they get smarter. They get better with technology. I think they become more concerned about the long-term impacts of some of the things that my generation has, has done to the detriment of their generation. But yeah, I, I, I'm consistently more and more impressed. And not only that, there's kind of a, what I'll call a globalization or a dispersion of some of those qualities. Uh, I We've taught 11,000 people last year. We'll do 25,000 people this year at Section 4. We have 27 countries. And, you, you know, some kid from Rwanda that doesn't have a college degree and you're like, this kid is just on fire. You know, this, this woman is so smart. And you realize that the dispersion of content is so powerful now. But – and that's the good news. The bad news is if you think that you can – you deserve two house, a house and two cars because you're white and have outdoor plumbing, you have a rude awakening coming to you. I coach a lot of young men and I find a lot of young men are really struggling and I think there's some legitimate reasons – why they're struggling, but I think one of the more negative attributes of their struggle is their expectance. They look at their father and think, my dad, you know, worked 40 hours a week, was good, not great, and had a nice house, mom didn't have to work. And I'm like, boss, that world is over. That world is over. And, you know, welcome to the work week. Uh, so globalization is fantastic if you're in the top 10%. If the other 90%, it puts pressure on them. That's the bottom line. Scott, it was it was really fun to talk to you today. Uh, it's my pleasure. That was Scott Galloway, and I've followed him forever. We had a second conversation all about technology and social media and where it's all going. And these are things I think about a ton. I covered Facebook for close to 15 years, and Facebook is one of those companies that Scott seems to take a pleasure in hating. We really geeked out, and I wanted to share that conversation with you. So I put it in a special bonus episode, and we're going to release it on Thursday. Watch the stream. This week on Office Hours, we're going to share some advice. We just heard a lot from Scott. I'm sure you have thoughts of your own, or maybe you need advice. At any rate, come join us. We'll go live Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, as we often do. You can find us on the LinkedIn news page or email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com. We'll send you a link. If you like the show, please take a moment right now to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Sarah Storm. Joe DiGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Ariando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Michaela Greer, Samantha Roberson, Carrington York, and Victoria Taylor help us follow our passions. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You also heard music from Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. Our show's back next Monday. Thanks for listening. Scott, the very last conference that I attended in person before the pandemic, you were also a speaker at. I was interviewing Elise from Goop. We were in Miami. And um, it was the digital something or the other. Di digital publishers something or the other. Yeah, I remember being, I was especially angry. I, I hadn't eaten breakfast, which is a bad idea. And I was like, just like rant. I was like, I was literally raving, on, ranting and raving on stage. <laughs>